This is Decoding Learning Differences with Kimberly Lavelle, and this episode is Reading Simplified with Marnie Ginsberg. So Marnie is a guest on our podcast today. And Dr. Marnie Ginsberg is the founder of Reading Simplified, whose mission is to support busy, overwhelmed teachers learn a research-based system of effective and efficient instruction that accelerates all students' reading achievement. Marnie's surprised at finding so many of the middle school students in her classroom reading well below their grades spurred a passion for finding and disseminating solutions. What followed included private tutoring, university research, the creation of an evidence-based reading program, and ultimately the development of Reading Simplified. And in this conversation, this is definitely not geared just to teachers. Um, as usual, our conversations tend to be geared more towards parents and what parents can be doing, as well as some great tips for those of us who are also teachers, um, or you can send it to a teacher and they might get a lot out of it. Enjoy the conversation. Good morning, Marnie. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me, Kimberlyn. I'm so happy to have you. It's been it's a, quite a pleasure. Um, so you have been in this world of the science of reading for quite a long time and doing, especially compared to I feel like right now it's like there's a big surge of interest and attention, um, but you've been in it for a long time. So how, well, first of all, how long have you been in that world and what changes in that time have you seen, if any? Oh, sure. I had my master's and I found out I didn't know how to teach struggling middle school readers how to read. So I consider that to be similar to what many teachers and parents are going through now as they're discovering the so-called science of reading movement. So I remember that, and that was in the mid to late 90s. And then I did discover that there was this amazing wealth of science in the late 90s and the early 2000s. And so I've been doing that ever since, but I've been like... um you know, someone hiding in the corner because it's really not been accepted in the mainstream to talk about how important sound-based decoding and recognizing phonics and perceiving the the sounds and words, AKA phonemic awareness, that was not cool. <laughs> so I've been trying to disseminate that information ever since. And one of the big things that I got to do as a doc student, and then as an early, um, you know, soon after I finished my PhD was help lead the development of the targeted reading intervention, which was aligned with the science. And we were asking teachers at that time who were mostly balanced literacy teachers to embrace uh, an approach to teaching struggling kindergarten and first grade readers, how to attack unfamiliar words with sound-based decoding, integrating phonemic awareness, the individual, the perception of individual sounds and words and phonics knowledge, just like SH is shh. So that started in 2005 and I did that for seven years and we had great success, but it's at the same time, we were still kind of, um, we had to be a little sneaky about it. We didn't say this is what science says about how you should read because we didn't want to have a head-on collision with their beliefs. We said, what if this would help your struggling readers? These are kids that are, you know, like as if they needed something different, which isn't true. Everyone needs the same thing. Those that struggle or have learning difficulties uh, in the con in the content area of reading anyway, they generally just need more intensity and more expert instruction. So 
uh, I did that work. And then uh, that led me to create Reading Simplified because that work at the TRI, the targeted reader mentioned was very profound, but it wasn't getting disseminated. So Reading Simplified was my approach to my, uh, my attempt to take some of those similar things that I had seen work with the TRI and folded into a program that reaches the masses, both teachers and parents from all over the world. And that start that idea started in 2013, but really didn't have a uh, something available to train teachers until 2016. That's the Reading Simplified Academy. So even as early as 2016, or as late, I should say, as 2016, uh, we were still a bit of a fish out of water. And I didn't market myself as teaching the science because people weren't interested in it. And so all basically most of my career, I have been swimming upstream or against the, you know, against the, the mainstream because most people who are concerned about how to teach reading and teach teachers or teach students how to teach reading have thought that the uh, more of a whole word approach was acceptable and that phonics could be either not used or only used minimally. And that was kind of folded into a variation of whole language, which became known as balanced literacy, which is over 20 years old. And that's been the current, the, the water that all of us have been swimming in. And so the, that is the, this, the culture, but at the same time, the science has marched steadily forward all these years. So they've just been not communicating with one another. So science hasn't changed. Of course, it keeps learning more, but in general, they've known this some of these basic principles, at least about beginning reading since the sixties. And it's gotten much more, you know, convincing data in the eighties and nineties, but, um, and even more now we have brain scans that can, sh that can align with the experiments that have been done in decades prior that show, yes, this theory that we had about how the brain learns to read, you can see another very, another depiction of it in a brain scan, and you can see how fast the brain learns to read, and you can see how how the brain's recognition of words is tied to sound or speech, which was a really revolutionary insight in the 60s and 70s um, because people think of reading as so visual. Yeah. You have to be able to see the words, right? And surely you do, but you also are co-opting the language system, perceiving sounds so that you can match those perceptions of sounds onto those little squiggles, which we call phonics, that the C is K, and the a, a is a and the t is t that's that insight that science has had and you know continues to expand on for decades it's just that the culture of teaching has been out of alignment with that and what's so exciting to me is um since say 2018 it's hard it's hard to exactly pin down the the date but just in the last 5 years or so this science of reading movement has come on the scene. And a lot of that has to do with the reporting of Emily Hanford from American Public Media. She did some amazing documentaries and now she has a very popular and influential podcast called Sold a Story. And that is releasing this information that I've just told you about, about how we've been teaching out of alignment with the science. So now it's going mainstream yeah. and people are interested in the science and teachers are getting trained and they're asking questions and they're eager to change their, their pedagogy. And so that has been super cool to see and I feel um, like I get to, you know, come out of my shell and be a little bit more frank about 
what I have known. And of course I'm always learning as well. Yeah. And so at Reading Simplified, we are, we're making cl more clear how the activities we have always suggested do align with the science. We're just drawing more attention to it. Whereas before it was, it was there, but it was in the background because there wasn't the demand. Yeah. And as a result of this movement, uh, Kimberlyn, um, states are changing policy. Uh, districts are swapping 180 degrees, their curricula. So major changes are happening in the school systems. And a lot of parents are catching on and are interested in as well. Of course, the pandemic brought uh, the attention to a lot of parents about how their kid was or was not learning to read. Mm -hmm. So a lot of things are shifting and we're seeing some improvements and bright lights. Um, but there's still a long way to go because uh, millions of teachers have been taught since the university, their university years and with ongoing professional development and with most uh, programs that they've had access to have been taught misunderstandings at best, or you might even call them myths about how the brain learns to read. So that's going to take a while to overturn and, and um, bring everybody back up to kind of a baseline of more reasonable practice. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking when you were talking about you're a fish against water, the water's, you know, swimming upstream, the stream is starting to shift, but it's not right. all the way shifted. It's not like at all. you get pockets where everybody's going with you. And then there's pockets where everybody's still going the other way. 100%. Um, Cause yeah, I, I hear different stories all the time about there's parents that are in a district that they're very, like the science of reading based genuinely structured literacy they're teaching phonics and they're teaching morphology and they're teaching you know they're they're actually teaching kids how to read um and then there's other schools that bristle at the idea that they could have ever been doing anything wrong and that there might be a better way so it's it's interesting to see that and and the kids definitely it 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 pains me when I see those difficult districts that are reluctant to make any changes because it is painful for the children who are suffering in those districts. Absolutely, I'm glad you're seeing that. Um, that those children are going to include many who are going to struggle because of the instruction. Yeah. And we know that. And changing the instruction, just for instance, in the domain of phonics, that's not all that's needed, but it is a huge a quick win for um, most, a, a large percentage of our students. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, okay, so we've often worried about students not being at proficiency in reading, and there's been a bunch of different attempts to solve the problem, but some of those attempts made things worse. Mm -hmm. um, so what do you see as the cause for the lack of reading proficiency and how does, how is that impacting the lives of students? Well, reading is really a cultural accomplishment that is um, determined by a multiplicity of factors. So it is hard to pin one thing down, but what I was talking about to get started is really my number one um, um, finger to point, pointing at the blame that are the way our teachers and publishers have been disseminating information, the way that the teachers have been taught and publishers have been disseminating information that's out of alignment with how the kids learn to read. So 
many kids are struggling just simply because of instruction, particularly in the beginning years or when kids pick up the code and learn to read easily and become fluent easily, which is possible with good instruction for, in, for many kids, then they can read widely and learn about the world. And that helps them with all the other subject areas. But we are kind of um, throttling that early opportunity to develop strong early readers who will read widely because um, the three queuing approach, which is dominant thinking in the balanced literacy model, kind of keeps the decoding skills hidden from the child. So some kids deduce the code no matter what, but probably well over 60% are struggling with how the code works because they're directed to look at the picture or they're directed to just look at the first sound or they're directed to think of, use their reasoning instead of use their eyes to attack the word left to right. So I put most of the blame for the early years anyway in instruction. Another big idea that we need to overturn is that uh, reading comprehension is mostly based on learning strategies for how to think, like how to summarize, how to predict, how to infer. Those are helpful, but they're much less helpful than learning information. If you read a physics text and you don't know anything about physics, you will not comprehend that text. Right. So we need to have, we need to double down in elementary and middle school in building knowledge systematically as part of our reading instruction, read science knowledge and history knowledge, geography, music, art, those domains are actually the knowledge necessary to be good at reading comprehension. So those are two big instructional shifts that we could change that would make a really big change in our outcomes. Of course, then there are also other cultural factors. A lot of children are coming to school with vocabularies that are much less developed than other kids. And that just puts them at a disadvantage from the beginning. So perhaps um, or strong early childhood opportunities where language is built, because reading is, like I said, is built off the back of language. We need to establish that early for all of our children, even our low-income children, who in general are more likely to hear fewer words spoken and fewer sophisticated words spoken. So it's harder for them to um, just make that transition into school-based literacy. So that's one thing. Of course, we have, you know, the broader, the, the impact of poverty broadly um, affects the child in so many ways, like their health, even prenatal health, um, Dentist appointments, all these things impact the child and could be changed that would lead to improvement in literacy. But a really, frankly, relatively speaking, a low-hanging fruit is just to change our instruction to be in alignment with phonics. And that's what we're trying to present at Reading Simplified, uh, one way of, of doing that um, for at least the, the component about how to teach kids to read words. So is that the, the main focus then for Reading Simplified is is like phonics, just hitting phonics really hard. Yeah. And I like to call it decoding because phonics is essential, but it's only one element of what it takes to, to do good sound-based decoding. You have to, you have to develop a uh, phonemic awareness to be able to perceive those sounds so you can process that phonics information. And you have to have some good strategies for how to attack an unfamiliar word. 
And then you also have to have a lot of practice decoding and rereading so that those words you've decoded become automatically recognized so that, and then that leads to fluency. So yeah, reading simplified is a streamlined approach for the teacher to learn how to teach kids rapidly, how to get to fluency, which is only part of the puzzle as I talked about. Yeah. Right. Um, so you talk about the, the science and art of reading instruction and what, what do you mean by that? Well, as I've discussed, we know a ton about how the brain learns to read and it's super exciting, but we don't know on, on Monday, what a five-year-old who knows B and M only what he needs, you know, from a science experiment, there's still the teacher judgment and insight, intuition, and experience that comes into play. So while the science of reading movement is very exciting and we have a lot of answers, we we have broad brushstroke answers. We don't have answers for every minute decision. So it's it's a tricky balance where we want to encourage teachers and parents to be interested in what the science says, but we don't want to mislead them into thinking that science has figured everything out and that you sh if you don't have a scientific answer, you can't do it. <laughs> we still are going to have an art to our practice. And frankly, I don't believe that we will ever be able to get science to the point where we can, we, you know, Mrs. Smith knows what Johnny needs on Monday and what Sally needs on Tuesday. That is going to always be an art, her knowing their cognitive and emotional and behavioral needs and a developmental sequence of how reading happens and matching the two with activities that are high leverage based in science. All of that, putting those pieces together is a sophisticated challenge. And so we want to elevate the science because we've really uh, historically put it in the toilet and that's a tragedy. So, but as we elevate it, we should not um, be misled into thinking that every instructional turn has already been answered by a researcher at Harvard. Right. Still up to the teacher to be a good teacher. Right. Yeah. I was thinking about like, as you were talking, I was thinking about these like scripted programs. And that's one of my, my difficulties with some of the scripted programs is, okay, but what about this particular kid in front of you that isn't getting it or already knows it? Like, let's, we have to be able to shift. Um, I like, you know, there's definitely a place for those programs so that you can hand them to a paraprofessional and they can just do it and not really mess anything up. But, but yeah, really good teaching where you're really able to individualize and identify the, the little nuanced details using all of the knowledge and the, that science that we know. And yeah, we don't have all the answers. I was also thinking about like, as you're talking, those studies that I've seen where sometimes it's confusing, like, well, why is this um, particular program rated so high? It doesn't seem any better than any of these other ones. What's really going on there? And you have to like really dig deep to get any possible explanation as to why it's rated high and potentially falsely rated high. Like there's some that seem to be rated high because they're only working with like a very small amount of instruction. So they're able to make really great progress, but then they don't keep going. So they're rated high compared to ones that do keep going. And they both maybe made really great progress in that beginning part, but then it gets harder. So it's, there is, I think there is a lot there where we do have to, to look at the science 
and I, I like that, you know, put, put an art on it, use it, use our intuition, our knowledge of individual kids, all of that. That's really important. Yeah. That's what I've been trying to develop with uh, the previous program. I developed the targeted reading intervention and reading simplify was say to teach a teacher. Here's the structure. Here's some activities that are high leverage. And here's a way to think diagnostically. So you can meet your, either your child's needs or your small group's needs. That is a better model, I believe, than the scripted approach. Although, as you said, a scripted approach has its merits, particularly for a beginning beginning teacher. They can get a sense. They can start off pretty quickly with little with little PD in many times, many cases. But I believe our teachers are capable of learning a system of thinking diagnostically that meets kids where they are, and that's going to get them um, to accelerate more to their potential. Because when you teach the whole class. You know, you're lucky if a third of them actually need the instruction you you're delivering. A third of them don't have a clue what you're doing. And a third I've already mastered that months ago. And also your program comment brings up an important thing. Scientists have not been that interested in comparing program A against program B for over 40 years. There was some work done in the 60s and it kind of was hard to come up with an answer when they're comparing programs. At least that's the word I've heard. And so I think they abandoned that approach and they've been looking at um, what if they if they look at instruction, they're more likely to look at um, this principle versus this principle, and as, as opposed to program A versus program B. So again, that puts the parent or the teacher who's trying to make decisions in a little harder spot if they're going to say, "I have to use a program that's based in science." Well, you can get a program that checks some boxes and is aligned with some scientific principles, but you you can't you can rarely say this program is superior to all the other programs or is superior to specifically program B or whatnot. So it is still a developing area. And I hope research, reading researchers will move to looking more at program to program comparisons as this science of reading movement has gotten so hot because teachers and schools and districts need, and parents, they need um, clearer answers. Yeah. Yeah. So <clears throat> what are some fun ways that teachers, including parents who are homeschooling or just providing extra support at home, how can they make that reading instruction fun and interactive for their kids? I love interactive. Um, one, of, one of the secrets is to quickly teach them to be successful. So a lot of programs, that was one of the hallmarks. Um, the deceptive success is really of balanced literacy. You sit down a kid with a level text where they can parrot the beginning sentence. And by looking at the picture, I see a bear, I see a tiger, I see an elephant, and they think they're reading and it has the appearance of success. And that's what one of the reasons that got legs, I think, for so many years, because everybody wants their kid to feel successful. And that's what makes reading fun. But some of the kids deduced the code from that, but most didn't. And as a result, they were tricked into trying to use the wrong strategies. So with Reading Simplify, we try to really quickly get kids access to the code and not, for instance, teach 13 weeks of the alphabet and only later let them read or spell a simple CVC, consonant, vowel, consonant word like cat or hop. So we could do actual word building, word reading, word spelling in the first week of kindergarten by just choosing a handful of letter sounds, M, T, S, P, maybe, and building simple words, map, sat, mom. Maybe we throw an O in there. Um, and so they, they, when they experience success, 
that is fun. That's a huge um, part. Also, we like to do word work activities to develop sound-based decoding that, that tend to be interactive and fun. One of the, the most powerful ones that works for beginning kids who don't even know their letter sounds. And it works for struggling readers who are maybe in the sixth grade and they're two or three years behind. We call it switch it. So if you can imagine um, some lines on a paper or on the back of a dry erase board to show the placement of, of a word where you might put words and you have some letter sound cards or tiles, each one has an individual letter sound on it, like T, T, or A, A, or even um, CH, CH would be on one tile. So at, for a beginning child, a four-year-old or five-year-old, you ask the child to build the word map and pull down those sounds. So this is tying sounds and symbols. You have, let's make map, mm, ah, pulling down one tile. Okay, you have map. Let's change it to mat. What do we need to take away to make map into mat? And this is a little challenge. Paired contrast gets the kids kind of excited. They, they feel like it's a game. Okay, they need to take away the p. And, and what sound goes there at mat? T. That's right. Which one of these is t? And so they have a couple to choose from, not all the letters of the alphabet, so as to not overwhelm them. And so they go from map to mat to to mat, to sat, to sat, to sit, sit, to sip, sit, sip, to um, chip. And so they're understanding more about the code, learning phonics knowledge and learning phonemic awareness, how to process those sounds and those words so that they are more quick to decode and encode or spell. And then an older reader could do the very same thing, except it would be more challenging. Okay, you have stomp. Let's change it to stump. Now let's change stump to slump. Which one of these cards? Yeah, we need to get rid of the t and pull in the l to make slump. Now tell me the sounds in slump. S l a m p and switch it um, is what that is. It's fun and you can increase the difficulty for your child. The other secret that we have is using the dry erase board to teach blending in our activity that we call read it. Again, you can level this based on the child's needs. Um, if the child is four or five and can't blend a, a simple three sound word, you would write, you know, a word like sat on the board and you would coach them to put the sounds together. Sat, sat, that's what we call blend as you read. That's more powerful according to research than going at what word, because connecting those sounds makes it easier on their brains. Um, so they read the word sat and then they write the word sat on the dry erase marker saying the sounds as they do it. S-a-t. And then they erase the sounds as they finish the activity. Erasing at. And kids love dry erase. There's some magic about it. Even adults and teens think it's just inherently fun. So that's helpful. And then you're zeroing in on the level that the child really needs to improve on, but is not you know, uber frustrated by. So again, the fifth grader who's struggling, you might do a word like strict or maybe a multi-syllable word like intelligent and you would help them to write it in chunks. You, they might read it in chunks in tell gent and they would also write it that way in tell gent And so those are two activities that are, you can see they're very academic but the materials and the challenges and the level of scaffolding help kids um, find them to be fun. 
And those are some secrets. And then the other thing is to always read to your kids, let them have access to books on, you know, what we used to call tape <laughs> uh, and, um, help them learn as the doing the hard work of learning to decode, help them, um, continue their enjoyment of literacy by having that extra scaffold of a mature reader supporting them, whether that is like a direct one-on-one -on -one with a parent or a teacher sitting down and reading to them or listening to a podcast, listening to a story, uh, and, and ideally even maybe following along. I think that the, um, Kindle fire and Amazon Kindle have really cool technology. You can sync the ebook with the audible professional recording and the text will highlight as the narrator reads it. If the child loses her place, you can tap the screen and it'll, the audio will pick up right as the, the text is highlighted. So I'm a big fan of continuing support for reading aloud and following along as we're building decoding. That will generally be fun. It will help kids kind of um, sustain themselves and thinking that reading is fun when some of it becomes harder work because it is hard work for a season, particularly for some children. Learning to read is like on a bell curve, like most skills. Some of us are naturally good at picking up a tune and some of us struggle with that. And so if we struggle, then we're going to need more practice and, and a variation and games can help with that. Spreading the activities out across the day, you know, literally doing three minutes after breakfast when three minutes, when they come home and 10 minutes before bed. I mean, how many of us have, um, you know, bent the rules for our children at bedtime because they're reading. Okay. I'll let you sleep, stay up later. If you're, you know, yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I love everything you just said. Cause all of it was like, yep, 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 yep. Let's do that. Um, including the, the last thing with little bits here, it, you know, that's one thing that I've, I've said multiple times on the podcast is like, that is, it's so powerful. Like just a couple of minutes, multiple times a day is so much more powerful than like once a week tutoring for right. night, like right. that's multiple times a day. We just want to hit it tiny bits, lots of repetition practice. Um, and right before bed that, you know, they've shown like whatever you're thinking about right before bed is the thing you're practicing kind of as you're sleeping almost like you learn it better. So I'm always mm -hmm. like right before bed, whatever you most want your kid to learn, that's what you do right before bed. Um, or as close to that that as you can, but also throughout the day as that extra practice. So yeah, I, I so, so agree with everything that you um, just said. And it was, it was also good reminders to me and like, yep, those are things that I, you know, sometimes I don't do enough of. Okay. Yeah. So. Oh, it's hard to squeeze it all in as a parent. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it is. Um, all right. Well, is there anything else that you would like to share about reading? And then also, um, how can people get a hold of you and learn more about what you're offering? Well, I imagine a lot of your parents don't have access to really good information about how their child is doing and reading. In most places in America, in most schools, we might get a level and we know we're on level or we're not, but that doesn't tell you what to do. So a lot... Uh, a lot of children struggle with sound-based decoding, and that can be hidden for some kids who have very strong visual memories. Mm -hmm. A child who's in, you know, the upper elementary should be practically flawless with their decoding. 
And so sometimes we think, oh, they're doing okay because they're only missing one out of 10 words, one out of 20 words, but that's actually still a lot of struggle. Just imagine if you're, if you, again, if you were reading a physics text, maybe you even knew all the words, but if you stumbled on one out of every 20 words, how long are you going to keep that book open? Right. <laughs> no, we're not doing it. That's an adult. We, we, uh, you know, a good reader is practically perfect with uh, word right. recognition. And so a nonsense word test can be very helpful for helping you reveal whether those underlying sound-based decoding skills are strong, because that's the foundation on which uh, fluency is built. We have to attack unfamiliar words using a sound-based approaching sound-based decoding approach. Then we learn to recognize words in a blink of an eye, and then we become fluent with reading words in a connected text. But so if you have a third grader or a seventh grader, you're looking at fluency and you may be frustrated and you may, but that's on higher level skill. Let's dig down to make sure that the foundation is not um, cracked and with holes. So a, a nonsense word test um, non-word test, a word attack test, those will help you pinpoint if there's some crumbling in that foundation. And then you can do activities like I just mentioned, uh, switch it for instance, to help reinforce that foundation. And if, and if it's significantly behind, then get, get some training yourself or get somebody help to help you. Um, the schools are really trying, but in general, right now, the, if a child is struggling, most schools are not good at catching them up. So I, I hate to say it, but a parent would be wise to think about what she or he can do outside of school if the school's not actually accelerating your student if they're behind. At Reading Simplified, we have some informal uh, measures that you can give your student um, and including a nonsense word test. So if you go to readingsimplified.com forward slash reading dash tests. You can find it, or you could even just Google reading tests and reading simplified. And so that is something that I encourage parents to get informed and get the tools so that they know where their student stands and not, of course, not everyone is going to have that issue. And so great if you don't, but it's a really important thing to catch because a lot of schools aren't giving us that data. Teachers don't know this, especially upper elementary, middle school teachers, high school teachers, they don't know this in general. And so a parent could be informed and then, and then go to the root of the problem. And at Reading Simplified, we have a lot of complimentary trainings on just a handful of activities that move the needle. So you could go and to our website and look at for switch it or read it, which I talked about, or sort it, which is helpful for learning um, what we call advanced phonics, like the long vowels or the sound er as in her, girl, earth, uh, worm, etc. And so those are complementary with lots of word lists and activities and video examples. And then we also have the Reading Simplified Academy where parents can, or teachers can get trained in our system and apply it themselves. Excellent. Um, yeah, well, I'll make sure that we have some links um, to some of that in the show notes so everybody can check that out and see what you have to offer. And thank you so much for being on the podcast, Marnie. It was really great to talk to you and to get all of these ideas and insights and your wisdom. Thank you so much. Oh, it's my privilege. Thank you for what you're doing, Kimberlyn.